You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. This morning I spoke to Dr. Paul Winton, founder of the 1.5 Project, a foundation that advocates for stronger climate action in Aotearoa. Dr. Winton explains what the Climate Change Commission's proposal is missing and how the problem in Aotearoa is the cows and the cars. Dr. Winton says we need to treat climate action like we treat COVID-19, a clear message from central and local government to raise awareness. Here's Dr. Paul Winton now. First of all, what have you noticed since you founded the 1.5 Project in 2019? So the main observation I've made is the really twofold. One is the really deep disconnect between the changes that are needed at a societal level in the eyes of Joe and Jane Average versus the societal changes that science tells us are needed. So a massive disconnect between the science and what people think is needed. And the second is, related to that, is how hard it is to shift public sentiment towards uh, science-fied action. And a really good example of that is we run a survey uh, every sort of 12 to 18 months, and we've recently updated that on climate sentiment uh, amongst New Zealanders. So we brought research from George Mason and Yale Universities down here, and we segment New Zealand into six different groups, um, those who are really alarmed, uh, like Greta, right through to those that are more like Donald Trump, effectively climate deniers. And what we see is even over the last couple of years, we've had any number of biblical disasters in New Zealand and Australia and around the world, there's a very, very, very small shift in favour of more climate action. So in spite of all that stuff happening over the last 24 months, sentiment hasn't really moved much. In part, that can be attributed to COVID. You know, everybody's been a bit busy. But when you look at the scale of disasters that are happening, it surprised me that those things don't move people's beliefs and actions a bit more than they do. So what's it going to take to get those people on board with meeting those goals of 2030? So there's a couple of things at play. One of the biggest is there's there's a path we can take that gets done to us and there's a path we can take uh, where we do it. So the one that gets done to us is the biggest predictor for support and demand for climate action is having experienced personally sustained climate change. So not kind of a a big one-off event, like a big flood or a big storm, but something like, I used to have a glacier in my backyard and it's gone, or we used to be able to fish here and there's no fish anymore, or we didn't have dinghy fever before, but now we do have dinghy fever. So those things, sustained changes do shift opinion, and that will happen if we just carry on doing what we're doing now. But if we want to do it ahead of the curve, we're actually going to have to change public sentiment and we're going to need something that looks a little bit like the climate, the COVID uh, communications and engagement program that's run over the last couple of years from central and local governments to raise awareness in a really, uh, in a manner that really connects with the population, with the citizenry and builds the social license for the kinds of changes that are needed. And, and a good example of that at the moment where we need to do it but haven't done that engagement is in Auckland is the removal of a small number of car parks along main corridors. And, you know, there's been vitriol, and if you look at the sort of the more right-leaning press, you know, they're strongly opposed to this. Yet the evidence internationally is 
we need to reallocate public road space. And in order to do that, we need to gain the support of the population to do so. We need to bring them with us. And that requires really meaningful constant engagement, kind of like we've done in COVID, at a similar scale. So we need you know, tens of millions of dollars a year to engage with the population to build support for and demand for the kind of changes that society needs. Do you think it's going to be, it needs to actually be treated as an emergency like COVID? Yes, absolutely. It needs a similar level of resourcing. And, you know, we need to shift from the rhetoric of the emergency, which is what the current Labour government is doing. You know, we've got a, a climate change emergency and the language of crisis is sometimes used. The actions underpinning that are, you know, are woefully inadequate. So there's this big gap between uh, the story and the substance um, and it needs to be because of the scale and rate of change that is needed which is system level individuals themselves cannot have a meaningful impact through their own lives they should do it but we need the system to change and that means we need local and central governments to do it and they really need to move on to a wartime footing in order to do this. So it's often considered that climate change response appropriate for equity and science is akin to the mobilisation we saw in World War II, but only uh, bigger in its, uh, broader in its reach. So a broader number of countries need to mobilise in a similar amount of whole industries need to shift in months and small years to align with the goals of, of what science tells us we need to do. Do you think that's going to mean a lifestyle change for a lot of people, for lack of a better word? Yeah, so it will, and I think it will require a change in the way uh, individuals and businesses and governments operate, and it will require that change fast. And I think the thing that's often missing from that discourse is that we'll actually change things for the better. You know, if you look at, in many cases, we are being subjected to pollution, to noise pollution, to damage to our waterways, a whole bunch of things that are artifacts of a high-carbon lifestyle. If we shift away from those and we shift towards a world where getting around is easier and lower cost, lower cost both in terms of getting their day-to-day cost, but also you don't need to buy a $50,000 steel box to move 80 kilograms of meat around, then you move to a world where communities are more connected, where it's safer, where it's healthier, and where it's much, much more equitable. We move, start to move people out of the transport and time poverty that many have fallen into because of the way we've sort of aligned our society. So, yes, a big change and also a big change that will be much better than the world we're living in today. And where in the world can we look? towards as a goal for becoming carbon neutral? Yeah, so the list of um, poster children is incredibly long, incredibly short. So what we're seeing is no one has yet deployed the perfect answer everywhere. Um, but what we have seen is there are pockets of really amazing in different parts of the world that we can pick and mix for the New Zealand context. And it's important to look at the New Zealand context. If you look internationally in climate change, for example, coal is a big issue. So many countries' electricity networks are driven by coal. That's not the case here. Now, coal 
takes a lot of space in the public narrative around electricity, but it's actually not that big a villain compared to many other countries. So our problem in New Zealand is unique. It's around the cows and it's around the cars. Um, and it's, it's a shift towards the rapid decarbonisation of those things that we really need to be seeing as quickly as possible. And those dairy and um, fossil fuel industries, do you think they'll act alone or is government action also needed to <laughs> speed that up a bit? I think that the resounding message internationally is that they will not act under their own steam. And there's, like, there's a bunch of reasons for that. In, in New Zealand and many countries, one of the, if we talk about industry sectors, one of the primary obligations of directors and organisations is this thing called the fiduciary duty, which means that they have to be primarily focused on profits. And the, the courts have tested that, and profits is kind of the highest reward to those businesses. And whilst they can consider things like climate change, only, they can only consider it to the extent that it's a risk to their profits in some form. So what we actually need is, um, is central and local government intervention to force those business models to change more quickly. And of course, um, consumer citizens can shift their behaviours as well. But you know, in New Zealand, as an example, if every New Zealander went vegan overnight, that would reduce our emissions about three percent and most of that stuff would end up being sent to Wisconsin as a hamburger anyway so it wouldn't actually change the, the global story. Is that because of our exports for Fonterra for example? Fonterra, most of our food it's most of our emissions come from sort of things related to cows and most of that by volume is exported. Um, so uh, it's often said that we feed around 50 million people, equivalent of 50 million people around the world. You know, we're only five. So um, our ability through consumer behaviour here can be good in terms of demonstrating the possible, and, and we're seeing a rapid shift away from these environmentally destructive products like uh, New Zealand dairy as it's produced, you know, it's, um, and, and not only in the cow part, but the drying the milk with coal, um, the sending it to markets and bunker fuel ships, uh, bunker fuel field ships. And you know, it's, it's just very, very hard to change that here as a consumer in New Zealand. The um, Climate Change Commission proposal, how is that different from um, what? the 1.5 project is advocating for? Yeah, so the, the Climate Change Commission's work came out as advice to the government in May uh, last year, 2021. And the problem is, and it's not just the 1.5 project that's hold this view, it's, it's many others. Um, for example, Oxfam, Lacanzi, um, have come to similar conclusions, is that... And the disagreement here is all about carbon dioxide specifically. So it's not about methane, from, mainly from the cows. It's not about nitrous oxide. It's really just about carbon dioxide proper, uh, including how we manage, um, how we account for trees. So if you believe the commission's maths, um, or their approach rather, you would end up with emissions reductions across petrol, diesel, coal, gas of about 25% 
by 2030 from a 2019 baseline. Um, conversely, if you believe, for example, the 1.5 projects assessment, that number needs to be more like 75% reduction by uh, 2030. So, which is a lot, you know, it's a big reduction in now eight years because we haven't really reduced anything over the last couple of years. But it's also broadly in line with some emerging city, city states are doing. So, for example, Auckland Council has um, signed up two years ago to reduction of uh, petrol and diesel use per person in Auckland, for all of Auckland, this council for all of Auckland, you know, one and a half million people, of 75%. So there will be 75% less petrol and diesel used by the average Aucklander in 2030 versus 20, 2016 is their baseline. But so it's probably even steeper today. It's probably more like 80%. And so th- there's a really massive difference between what the commission have recommended the government and what a science and equity aligned approach takes recognising that it is the most vulnerable who will be impacted by this and therefore there's a very high, um, a, a very significant need for us to move quickly on it. That was Dr Paul Winton, founder of the 1.5 Project, talking about what the Climate Change Commission's proposal is missing and how we need to treat climate action like we treat COVID-19. That was a 95BFM podcast. To hear more, head to 95BFM.com slash bcasts.